in supporting family offices. Consolidated reporting is an often frustrating but a very critical part of running a successful family office. Our discussion will cover many areas in the world of reporting, such as the history of consolidated reporting, potential innovations in the space, best practices for families looking to start or improve their reporting, and risk management concepts to consider. Let's get underway with some brief introductions. First, I'm joined by Eric Poirier, CEO of Adapar. Eric, uh, give us a quick snapshot of your background. Yeah, Edward, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been building software for most of my adult life. And with Adapar, we started the company a little bit more than 10 years ago, um, really laser focused on the high end of wealth management um, and bringing Silicon Valley technology approach um, while earning trust uh, with some of the most noteworthy investors in the world to help them answer uh, clear questions about their portfolios around what they own, where they own it, and how they own it. Thanks, Eric. My next guest is Padman Parmal, CEO of the Americas at Mastro Holding. Uh, Padman, give us a quick overview of your experience. Hey, thank you, Ed, for the opportunity. Um, I spent uh, the first half of my career as a software engineer, uh, technology consultant uh, at a technology entrepreneur. Uh, the second half of my career I spent in financial services institutions, first at Credit Suisse uh, Private Bank, uh, primarily serving high net worth and ultra high net worth clients um, and their advisors and uh, leading uh, some of the digitization work uh, in the private banking Americas region. The last four years um, I spent at JP Morgan uh, as a transformation executive, uh, primarily focusing on uh, small and mid-sized companies and optimizing uh, offerings for them and enhancing the client experience. Leveraging my experience and passion um, in the wealth management space and technology, uh, I decided to join the Mastro team as the CEO uh, of the Americas. Mastro technology was uh, first developed in uh, 2010 uh, with a strong, uh, deep-rooted heritage in a global multi-generational family office, actually looking to solve for its own unmet needs and today, the technology solution serves clients ranging from single-family offices to multifamily offices and financial services institutions across um, 24 countries. Uh, our platform essentially offers the most uh, comprehensive and interactive views of the total net worth. Uh, and this view uh, encompasses um, assets uh, that are financial marketable securities to non-financial assets uh, across different banking relationships, multiple currencies, and ownership structures. Uh, we essentially try to bring uh, the complex uh, blueprint of uh, wealth owner and the wealth net worth uh, into a simplified and uh, intuitive uh, and interactive experience. The company's mission is uh, fairly simple, is uh, essentially to bring ultimate control, uh, transparency, and peace of mind uh, to the wealth owner and the family enterprise. Thanks. Our third guest is Rick Higgins, Chief Innovation Officer at Risk Clarity of Portfolio Reporting. Uh, Rick, give us some highlights of your background and how you got into consolidated reporting in the first place. 
Thank you very much. Um, I was born into it. <laughs> I was actually, uh, both my parents were CPAs and have, my mom ran a family office pretty much since I was about seven years old. And I really kind of grew up in that environment. And once I graduated um, with an undergraduate in finance and a master's in information systems, there was kind of one natural fit, and that was to help her innovate and build efficiencies within her uh, single family office and then ultimately became a multifamily office. So uh, I, I've been aggregating since I was 16 years old. I, I started out with, uh, with a job there where I was pulling in oil and gas receipts and uh, kind of coding them into this really archaic uh, DOS-based system and eventually started to develop some software and ultimately created a, a couple of firms, one uh, called Digital Partner that we sold to my CFO back in 1999. And then from there, created a company called Wealth Touch that, uh, again, I sold to a private equity investment group back in 2009, and now am running Risk Clarity with the intention of really filling in some of the gaps in, in reporting and integration between all of the different best-of-breed platforms, specifically for family offices and uh, wealth managers who manage the affluent market. Well, thanks, Rick. Well, let's get, uh, let's get started with uh, some definitions. Uh, people certainly define consolidated reporting in many different ways, sometimes contradictory or confusing. What's the most correct way, say that, uh, to define consolidated reporting? You know, in, in the most traditional sense, it's taking disparate sources and bringing it into a single report or a series of single reports. I think when we look at family office in particular, we start to look at the sources being across asset classes and across financial institutions. Um, typically, we're talking about asset-based consolidation, although I think there is some, some importance and some validity around uh, pulling in liabilities and other things that, uh, that aren't just strictly asset-based. Um, but I think in the, in the simplest form, it's pulling all of the assets that, that a family may own into a single report or a single series of reports. Great. Uh, Rick, also to you, uh, you know, your background, is, as you described it, you know, growing up in, in consolidated reporting, certainly you, you, uh, lends itself uniquely to uh, discuss the history uh, of the industry. Could you give us a little bit of an overview of how this industry has evolved over the last 30 years? Sure. The family office really was set up for managing information for a, a particular family. You know, it goes way back to the, to the early days of, of the Rockefellers um, and, and others in the generation. And, you know, many of those firms still exist today. And it was really set up for aggregating information and managing, managing that information. So as we kind of fast forward, you know, 100 years, uh, it still really becomes the same issue. Wealthy families tend not to solely invest in traditional assets. So pulling in a bank feed from you know, one or two custodians is just is just not enough. They've got a lot of assets in multiple asset classes, anything from uh, cows, cattle, to uh, forests, to uh, hedge funds, to collectibles, to automobiles, to homes, to real estate. You name it. They're all over the cross, all across the board. Many of these assets don't actually reside in any electronic system. Uh, natively. So a lot of the time we're, we're manually entering information, we're pulling together information, we're making assumptions, we're making estimates, and trying to paint a complete picture for the, the overall wealth of a particular family. 
how it evolved was to put a lot of people on it, uh, you know, and threw a lot of bodies at it. So uh, my mom, when she was running her family office, she used to tell me that every time I pick up a new client, I need to hire three bookkeepers. And clearly that's not an efficient business model. Uh, arguably there aren't a lot of highly efficient family offices or a lot of family offices that are built to scale. Uh, if they are, they're probably very targeted to a particular aspect. So investment management. Um, but the overall substance of a family office is everything from, you know, walking the dog to hiring domestic staff to making sure that the lights or the light bill is paid and the cable bill is paid, uh, as well as managing the investment assets and pulling all of that information together so that uh, the family can make effective decisions. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Eric, you know, as things changed, as sort of Rick described some of the history that's there, you know, many things do remain the same uh, within consolidated reporting. Uh, is there is there room for real technical innovation given advances in technology that you've seen in general? And do you think artificial intelligence or other tech, uh, sort of technology trends uh, fit into this picture? Yeah, great question. Look, there's there's so many different opportunities for technical innovation in this world of consolidated reporting, especially you know, to empower each and every family office to see, kind of solve the conceptual question that, that uh, Rick was discussing, where you know, the, the concept is, I, I want to be able to see everything I own, where I own it, how I own it, what it's worth, how it's performing, so I can make more thoughtful decisions around what to do next. And you know, while that might sound simple, it's actually really, really hard to bring together all the data from all the various systems, um, where the systems are built with different assumptions, the systems represent data in different ways, uh, and so you have to normalize the data that's coming in, um, but you have to be able to then run calculations in ways that hang together, um, so you're not comparing apples to oranges to pears, but rather, you know, making, making sense of it all in one place. And so, you know, we started out of par in the wake of the financial crisis back in 2009 uh, because it was very, very clear to us that, you know, during the financial crisis, you know, both family offices as well as, you know, I mean, giant allocators, endowments, foundations, pensions, sovereigns, insurance companies, et cetera, uh, they were flying a lot more blind than they wanted to admit uh, in terms of, in aggregate, what were all their holdings and where were their holdings and how were they performing? And so this was especially true on the illiquid side uh, of the investment portfolio, so investments in private equity and hedge funds and private stocks, et cetera. Um, so uh, with respect to overall opportunity for technical innovation, uh, Adapar is really focused first and foremost in being able to represent every single asset type uh, in a native way um, so that you can uncomprom like uncompromisingly answer questions uh, that I had described before. So the way that we look at it, you know, writ large, there's $100 plus trillion of investable assets globally. Um, the striking majority of those assets are still managed on post-it notes and in Excel sheets um, where people are continuing to throw bodies at it. Um, so reframing that and saying, where can you use technology as leverage uh, in that model um, so that the person running a family office, the principals of the family um, can get common sense answers, answers to those questions in timely ways but also be able to run in a secure way. Um, that's really the name of the game. And so to your point specifically about uh, AI, uh, you know, artificial intelligence has, it's, it's a broad space. Um, the machine learning aspects are ones that, um, you know, once you bring together enough data, um, there are a lot of opportunities to uh, 
you know, find things in that data that can allow for more efficient uh, and more optimal investment decisions. There are also a lot of kind of operational processes that you can streamline using things like chatbots, which, you know, would kind of fit into the AI realm as well. Um, so AI as a branch of computer science certainly has a lot to offer to the, you know, world of family offices and the more broadly consolidated reporting, as well as just running financial services broadly. Um, but there are many other aspects of technology to bring to bear um, that are more traditional, but really haven't um, been fully delivered in the realm of financial services. So, Podman, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you, where's the technological innovation in consolidated reporting going to come from? Yeah, I, I think Eric covered uh, a lot of ground there. I agree with all those all those areas. I, I think what's uh, different now in the, in the last few years is the technology innovation, such as cloud computing or database technology, predictive analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, NLP, you name it. I think the availability of this technology at scale, and then how we can leverage them and apply them to a variety of different use cases that, that Eric walked us through. I think that, to me, I think is, is, a lar is the biggest opportunity. Uh, it's not only it's available to large firms or with uh, you know uh, enormous amount of technology investments and budgets. It's available to um, you know it's available at scale to everybody. So I think we're starting to see this innovation, especially in the wealth management industry across the value chain, uh, as it comes to uh, you know improve the consolidated reporting. Um, at Mastro, we're uh, extensively using AI ML capabilities uh, to really drive automated processing around some of the complex topics that we have struggled with. Uh, what uh, Rick just pointed out is that every time you hire a client, you go hire three people, which is not a scalable model. I think these are things that we can now solve or solving for um, you know, with these innovative, uh, innovative technology. And I think this we're going to continue to see accelerate. Uh, just in the way of um, how we revolutionize data collection, data aggregation, reporting, document processing, communication between family members, providing predictions, et cetera. So we're very excited about uh, the availability of this innovative technologies at scale and how we can bring those technologies to solve for use cases that are critical to our family enterprises. Thanks, Padma. Uh, Rick, uh, you know, one of the folks that have spent some time around consolidated reporting with family have certainly noticed some entrenched issues uh, that, that that reporting has. I mean, uh, we've talked about a couple of them already. Um, I think two come to mind, uh, and you certainly mentioned them before, is sort of having people in the loop, you know, for tracking non-marketables um, and then including, you know, portfolio dynamics when you're doing all the other functions as part of a consolidated reporting uh, you know, delivery, uh, including attribution analysis. I mean, are those issues uh, something that you see that we'll be able to to be able to solve in a in a better fashion over the horizon? Uh, absolutely. I think when it comes to people, um, we'll never remove people from the cycle, just because there's the complexity of what we're uh, the data we're we're evaluating, the data we're looking at. You know, we we want people to, to be involved with that and, and make judgment calls. But as far as automating and building efficiencies, I think the type of people we're going to have involved will, will change. 
um, where we once had to hire bookkeepers or data entry clerks. Um, I, I believe at some point those jobs will become few, fewer, fewer and far between. Um, as we start to leverage, you know, some of the stuff Eric was talking about on, on the on the AI, AI stuff. I mean, very simply, if we start building automation uh, around certain processes, basically defining a set of, of rules to tell the computer to do this. If you see this, do that. If you see that, do this. We can start to build some efficiency around the things that bookkeepers and data entry clerks tend to do. Uh, there's other technolo technological innovations out there. You know, APIs is, is another one, the application programming interface, the ability to interact with other systems. And many of the financial institutions are now offering those types of, uh, that type of accessibility, um, pulling in data from text files, or even, you know, being able to do real-time queries against somebody else's database are things that are, ha that are happening now. Um, I do believe it'll all be incremental. I'm not sure I see on the horizon uh, something that's, a moment in time revolution, but I think the revolution is really going to come with a lot of the automation and the processes that we're building and the, and the efficiencies that we're building uh, a little bit at a time. So if we look back over five years, uh, yes, we have innovated. Things have been, become much more efficient uh, than they used to be. Uh, if we look back over 20 years, tremendously more efficient. If we look forward, you know, five or 10 years, I, I think things are going to become more and more efficient. There will probably still be things that become that are manual just because of the nature of what it is. Um, and it could be as simple as if you own a cattle ranch, somebody has to go count the cows. Uh, it's just hard to automate that process. Now, who's to say? Maybe we do have drones that go out and fly around and kind of count them automatically. Um, is that a cost-effective solution? Probably not. It's probably cheaper to have somebody else go, somebody just walk out there and count them once a quarter. Um, but I think there is a lot of innovation and a lot of efficiency that we can still bring out of the family office environment. Thanks, Rick. I think, uh, you know, sort of to piggyback on that question, I think w one area that, that family offices um, struggle with is around picking a reporting system. In your opinion, is there a ubiquitous consolidated reporting systems that all family offices can use? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, is it an efficient? Is it the ideal one? Um, no, it's Excel. Everybody uses Excel. And it is ubiquitous. I think it's as ubiquitous as any system has, has ever been. Uh, it's a fantastic tool. Is it scalable? Absolutely not. Is it the uh, right tool for managing large volumes of data? It is not. Uh, but what it does, it does very well. And you put some smart people around it, and it can do amazing things. Is there one off-the-shelf enterprise-level system? No, but I think we're starting to see some some narrowing down some things. And maybe it's not one system, uh, and maybe it's more of a, of a family of systems. Um, but I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all. And the reason I say that is because it really depends on the background of the family office. If a family office is run by an investment professional or a portfolio manager, uh, there's a suite of tools that are probably already in place. If the family office is, was established and run by uh, an accountant, there's probably another suite of tools that are in place. If it's run by an attorney or a, a special, maybe a real estate management man, manager or somebody else uh, from outside of the finance and account back, uh, industries, there's probably other tools there. And I think the challenge is finding a ubiquitous tool that all of these professionals feel comfortable using. Thanks, Rick. Uh, you know, Consolidated reporting certainly means different things to different families. 
What do you think are some of the critical aspects of a robust consolidated reporting system? I, I think in, in our uh, experience, it really comes down to the most two basic things. One is around transparency and two is around accessibility. And both of this revolves around the wealth owner uh, or you know, ultimately the, the family office or the family enterprise. Transparency, and we talked about uh, this quite a bit earlier, transparency for wealth owners and the people who serve them uh, in a very easy to consume manner, uh, I think it's, it's absolutely uh, critical and, and important. And accessibility to that information for the wealth owner. You know, it, it cannot rely on calling the banker for something, the tax accountant for something, um, you know, the lawyer for something else, or looking at a bunch of different statements at different timestamps. You know, having the information accessible is, is extremely, extremely critical. Um, I think we talked about how the complexity of managing family wealth is multidimensional. It can be based on assets. It can be based on private investments. It could be the enterprise structure. It could be partnership, inheritance, generational transfers. It can get very complex very quickly. So I think what we have taken um, at, at Mastro is really the mission of simplifying the complexity and delivering an easy to use, simple, intuitive solution that brings this all together, but also at the same time that can scale up or scale down depending on the complexity that is centered around the wealth owner. I think that to me is kind of how I would summarize um, you know, some of the basic uh, critical aspects of what a robust uh, system needs to bring to the wealth owner. Thanks. And Eric, your thoughts, you know, what are the, what are the critical aspects of any consolidated reporting system uh, when you're when you're talking to families? Yeah, I think uh, I mean as as Padman said, I think the the name of the game is to take what is inevitable complexity, uh just given that the uh family offices sort of by definition uh are managing uh you know, large complex multidimensional portfolios and how do you crack the code on making sense of that information in timely ways so you can make thoughtful decisions on them. Um, and you know, Rick, I appreciate your kind words on, on Adapar's contribution to the space. Um, you know, we, we uh, lovingly refer to family offices as, as snowflakes. Like once you've seen one, you've seen one, and they can be very, very different from one another. And so, you know, over the last 10 years or so, we've just taken the time to go deep with many different family offices who, you know, think about their wealth, uh, think about their portfolios, think about their investment philosophy and approach, uh, think about thinking about, you know, the legacy they want to leave behind uh, in, in all of these very deep, very nuanced issues. And uh, in, once you take all that into account, um, again, there's such vastness uh, on the high end of, uh, of, this, of this wealth management space to solve for. So I completely agree with you. There is not one ubiquitous system. And uh, the Excel point, I mean, Excel, you're totally right. I mean, it's been wildly successful for 35 years now, and, but it's not purpose-built. So it doesn't really satisfy what Padman was saying, where uh, you have to simplify that complexity. Uh, you can have spreadsheets linked to other spreadsheets, et cetera, and it kind of works until it doesn't. Um, but it's certainly not uh, the most intuitive output for you know, the principle of a family to make thoughtful investment decisions. And so... Um, 
you know, if you take into account families own the full spectrum of asset types, one of the most counterintuitive parts is that the people who have the most complex and oftentimes the largest portfolios have historically been the most underserved by tech. And that's really why you have to build purpose-built systems that are simultaneously great at bringing together data um, from custody banks, um, as well as uh, data about uh, non-marketable securities and illiquid assets. And so we've really focused since the very beginning at Adapar in building native data aggregation and normalization capabilities um, and developing um, quite an ambitious proprietary data model so that we can represent any type of asset um, in detail and really ma manage the myriad disparate assets uh, that really comprise these portfolios. And so in, in the steady state, you know, when uh, markets are behaving normally and, and everything, it, it gives families the opportunity to see everything they have, better to better deploy their assets to align uh, with their overall goals and objectives. Um, but in moments of market volatility, for example, or in like the moment we're all living through right now, um, being able to very, very quickly understand your exposure to a certain thing um, and figure out very surgically what to do about it, like that's really what matters the most during these types of times. And I would argue actually that consolidated reporting, um, when you think about it through a broader lens, um, should actually accommodate that need. Like if you if you think of, you know, consolidated reporting as simply like the template that you, you know, push the button or turn the crank every quarter and generate some output, that's very limiting. If instead you think about it as a primary communication tool um, to an asset owner about what they hold and therefore what they should hold, um, then consolidated reporting fits neatly together with financial planning. Um, it fits neatly together um, you know, with all sorts of different risk and other analytics about the portfolios. Um, so all in, you can actually achieve more than incremental improvements over time. I actually think we have the opportunity for, for a massive step change and huge improvements in how people deploy capital and how you can more efficiently align uh, investable opportunities with the right investors over time. Thank you, Eric. Uh, issue that I... That, that comes up is, is why do family office struggles so much with consolidated reporting? I mean, I think Eric and Podman talked on about some of the issues that that come up in there, but wh why is it they struggle so much with this this one particular issue? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think it's it's fairly complex. If we look at and maybe even bifurcate the the industry into family offices versus you know the, the MFO or the private bank or the wealth manager, um, family offices are cost centers by and large, and to add, to, to, to pay for technology, to pay for the automation, uh, it, it takes from something else. So they, they're not evaluating technology typically on, uh, on the same, using the same set of criteria that uh, a for-profit or operating business might. If I buy this tool, I'll be able to produce X more widgets and therefore I'll make more money. Um, I think typically family offices don't, don't view the world that way. They look at, it's going to cost me X dollars to run the family office, whether I have four people doing it or whether I buy a piece of software. Now, where it does change is in, in speed uh, of access and security and some of the other things that go around consolidated reporting. Uh, arguably, everybody can consolidate in 30 days. Can anybody consolidate in, in, in one day or in six minutes? Uh, that's where a lot of the, the costs and, and the efficiencies need to be, need to be purchased. Um, they struggle because it's complex and it's very difficult and there's a lot going on and, and it, it's always changing. You know, one month the asset base may look like one thing 
and the next month the asset base looks like something completely different. Uh, so being able to build efficiencies around that is, is very difficult. There's a lot of one-off processes that just uh, won't ever be automated and may just not be cost-effective to automate. For instance, you know, using drones to count cattle. Uh, yes, that's a very efficient way and you can get you know, immediate response, but it's just not cost-effective to do that. So a lot of times it comes down to the, the cost and I think it comes down to security. And, and hopefully this is going away and it's, it's gone away quite a bit, but it's still there. The idea that if I have a captive audience, a captive staff, I'm more secure than if I go to the cloud or I put it with a, an outsourced third-party provider. I think that's going away, but it's not going away as quickly uh, as we would like it to go away or as, as other industries are putting that aside. Thanks, Padman. How do families usually start off uh, with consolidated reporting if they have a blank slate? I think the key word is, is the blank slate, and, and I'll come to that in a second. I think, as, as Rick said, that is usually an inflection point within the uh, within the family office or the wealth owner or the enterprise. And the inflection point could be a number of things. They get frustrated with their current set of tools, which is the majority of them you know, are running this in Excel or an accounting software. Uh, there is frustration with not having the right information at the right time. Uh, there is generation change, which we have seen uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, when the next generation comes in to uh, inherit and start to run this and manage it, they are usually frustrated with the status quo. And in some cases, they are purely influenced by their other, um, you know, wealthy friends and uh, who have recently made a change or a switch. Uh, but irrespective of the inflection point, I, I think what uh, we normally recommend families to identify is what good looks like. It's the, it's the phrase that you just used, Ed, which is, you know, hey, in an unconstrained world, in a clean sheet approach, trying to define what the real needs are. Because I think that will truly enable them uh, to establish a ridge line. If in an unconstrained environment, what is that that I'm going to need to run this uh, family office business? And uh, before they go shopping, before they look at different solutions in the marketplace, I think it's extremely important for these uh, families and businesses to identify what is uh, most important to them. And I think it's a great first step in this journey. I think that brings out whether if I'm focused on portfolio performance uh, around liquid and liquid assets, is it GL, is it partnership accounting, is it trust, is it uh, you know, inheritance, et cetera, and, or is it communication between family members, document management, driving efficiencies within their family office enterprise. I think those are different sets of priorities and they have different sets of options available in the marketplace before they, uh, you know, before they start to uh, go going down a path of, of implementation. I think once they identify their needs and priorities, it gives them the best position to look at solutions that are available in the market marketplace and compare the pros and cons and uh, deciding on what they wanted to, um, you know, do uh, as they embark on that transformation within their family office. Eric, what about your thoughts uh, of families either with a blank slate or, or sort of getting started using Excel or some other system uh, when they're getting – what's been your experience uh, working with families at, at an early stage? 
Yeah, so uh, very similar to what Padman said, I think it's really important uh, you know, for a family office, regardless if it's a newly formed family office or if it's been operational for a decade plus, um, to be as clear as possible of, of what it is that you are trying to solve for and trying to approach that in a pretty unconstrained way. Um, but the result of that, you might have a laundry list of 20 things you're trying to solve for. So then having the discipline to prioritize amongst those things. Um, and I guess the point too that Rick was making before about uh, like the, the operating cost of a family office, they're, what's the ROI of you know, the te technology investment you're putting into it? How does it make your staff more efficient? Also, how does it allow you to, you know, for example, respond to investable opportunities much more efficiently so you can, um, you can capitalize on, again, moments like this one that we're living through? So, you know, I guess maybe playing off the prior question, too, about ubiquitous um, solutions, um, for many family offices, even though there are many, many differences, some of the commonalities is that uh, they own uh, both liquid and illiquid assets. Their liquid assets are inherently held, you know, either in one or multiple custody banks. Um, oftentimes, they have relationships with one or multiple advisors and bankers and tax and accounting professionals, et cetera. Um, so having, you know, what we've found pretty consistently is that having really strong, very clear answers to each one of those needs, um, but then also uh, having the reality that, um, you know, tax and trust and estate planning has been a pretty fundamental part of running family offices as well. So being able to represent, um, you know, the family, like, ownership structure and householding and uh, the legal entities that are the beneficial owners of certain portions of the portfolio and mapping those through time. Um, so that if you own 50% of this LLC you know, at some point in time, and then it went up to 75%, um, you're able to accurately capture, you know, returns and performance and everything like that, um, both looking back in time, but also projecting into, into the future um, to better understand liquidity and available capital and things like that. Um, and then finally, you know, as, you're, as the family is working their way down that prioritized list of needs, um, having a clear answer for which system or which systems or which service providers um, can solve for each of the things that matter most, and do all those pieces make sense together? Like, do they work well together? Um, so the point that Rick brought up before about APIs, that's been a really important part for Adapar as well. Um, we've built a ton of capability natively so that uh, family offices can you know, be very successful using Adapar alone, but if a family office also is operating a general ledger accounting system, for example, um, we can partner with Risk Clarity, and Risk Clarity is doing the integration work between Adapar and the GL. Um, we also partner with, you know, a load of other systems, whether it's, you know, um, trading or rebalancing or CRMs, et cetera, for some larger family offices who have more um, generations of family members to support. Um, but again, these are the details that, that uh, are surfaced when you really dig into um, the priorities and the trade-offs family by family. By family. So, Eric, to, to follow in that vein, you know, an important problem that we talked about a little bit earlier is, is getting the various financial reporting tools used by a, a, by a family organization, you know, the operating company, et cetera, to properly integrate, you know, which can certainly lead to poor, quali poor quality of data and, and, you know, the mistakes uh, in the reporting of information. How can family offices uh, fix these kind of integration problems? Yeah, so, you know, one of the 
I guess, observations we've had is, you know, typically speaking, family offices are not professional buyers of technology, nor are they necessarily technology experts. And so being able to have a helping hand, being able to have a trusted consultant or uh, a fellow family uh, who's gone through this process before, um, just as, you know, a little bit of a river guide just to navigate, you know, the, the um, you know, appropriate questions to answer, um, that's critical. And, you know, building off what I was saying before, uh, if, if the ideal solution for one given family involves two or three or four different technology components, um, vetting and validating that those components can work well with one another. And that has a couple different details to it. One is from the, the user experience, like the family member or the family office employee who's logging into uh, each of those, call it four different systems, are they, are they able to hop from one system to the next uh, in a convenient, streamlined way, for example, using single sign-on? Um, that's really the, the standard that we're upholding with the integrations that Adipar is building. Um, separately, uh, is the data able to flow between those systems transparently and ideally in an automated fashion so that you don't have data duplication, you uh, have fewer opportunities for errors that way? Um, and then three, from a security standpoint, uh, many families very rightfully uh, are paranoid about data loss and data breaches. And, you know, in the world that of Excel being the prevailing standard, uh, it is a very unsecure activity to be emailing spreadsheets around or having post-it notes stuck to your monitors with passwords. Uh, and so that's also a consideration that um, we're really encouraging many of our uh, clients as well as prospects uh, to bring to the top of their priority list. It's how you think about security, how you think about data privacy, uh, and the more pieces um, that are involved in your solution, um, you know, it's a, it's a weakest link problem. Like if you have one of those pieces that's not secure, uh, that's problematic. And so, you know, one thing that we've really tried to, to lead by example is having Adipar uh, partner and integrate very, very well with best-in-class solutions out there um, and make sure that we're upholding strong guarantees around, uh, you know, security of data, whether, whether it's in, you know, in transit or at rest, uh, you know, authentication and access controls, data permissions, et cetera, um, as well as keeping data fully encrypted and doubly encrypted if it's BII. Um, so those, those, um, those are the types of things, and that's the type of conversation uh, that we're tending to have with clients more often than not um, when their ideal solution involves more than just out-of-par, but out-of-par plus other pieces. Great. Podman, what are your thoughts on integration? How can, how can families fix some of these, these issues that, that seem to crop up a lot um, when they're trying to uh, get the various reporting tools uh, in the organization to talk on it to one another? Yeah, I think Eric touched on some very important topics and issues. You know, I'd, I'd come at it slightly from uh, to complement his comments, I, I would say the most foundational thing that the families need to be uh, paying attention to is to ensure that the whatever platform that they decide to run their consolidated reporting, the foundation to that is good data quality and a good data architecture. Um, I think as we discussed, the industry has evolved, uh, but still over the last few years, I think they've still settled for some very low quality standards on how we pull this data together in the first place, how that data architecture is serving as the foundation of this reporting platform. Um, 
you know, so I think that I think is a data becomes a very, very critical and a robust uh, uh, foundation, uh, you know, to, to the solutions. If, if that is weak, then everything else you try to do around it, whether you're building reports or you're, uh, you know, publishing information or you're integrating with the other platforms, it, it's going to be as good as the data that you have um, underneath. So I think that that to me is an important component of it. Um, I think having an open product architecture is extremely important and, and uh, very similar to what, what uh, Eric and, and team are doing. You know, we've taken uh, a similar approach to having an open product architecture, not only to have a robust and a complete uh, ground up built data model across all asset types and entities, uh, but also providing uh, that information and the ability to exchange that information uh, with other systems. I think that, that I think is, is extremely important. Once you have the data in the platform and you, can, uh, you have the open architecture uh, framework to exchange that, that information, whether it is an accounting software or a planning software or a CRM system or a trading application, um, I think it, it becomes easy, and then this information sharing uh, is of high quality. Uh, so to me, I think I would focus on ensuring that uh, you know, what is being built is built on a very robust uh, foundation of a high quality data. Thanks, Pavan. So Rick, you know, how should families decide should they insource or outsource their consolidated reporting functions? What's some, some of the decision-making that you've seen work best uh, in that area? I've seen a lot of failures in this space where firms have decided to, or family offices have decided to switch platforms and move to new firms, and it just didn't go well for whatever reason. And these firms are solid firms, and they're good firms, and it didn't go well for um, a couple of reasons, and I think we can, we can break that down. Uh, the first one is really breaking down all of the pieces of, particularly on consolidated reporting. Uh, consolidated reporting really involves aggregation, and aggregation in, in and of itself can take a lot of different forms. We've got aggregation from you know, custodial banks. We've got aggregation from alternative managers. We've got aggregation from uh, smaller regional or, or non-U.S. banks, uh, and all of those present their own set of challenges. There's the reconciliation process, making sure that the data we are, we, we're getting um, is normalized and, and correct and in a format that makes sense to us against all of the other data that we have in our system. And then there's the reporting function. And I'm surely breaking this down into really three broad topics. Um, in many cases, I've seen firms throw out their aggregation and their reconciliation process because their reporting was poor. And they decided that they're gonna throw everything out and we're gonna go to another firm who has really slick reporting. Well, the reality is to transition what has been working for 10, 15, 20 years uh, to a new platform is, is not easy. It's painful. I don't think anybody would argue that the setup process uh, of moving to a new aggregation firm is easy. It takes time. It's got a lot of issues. Bringing historical data is even more challenging. So if we're looking at replacing reporting, maybe that's the, the sole problem that we need to address. Our, our aggregation and our reconciliation process seems to be working pretty well. I know it's archaic software, but it works for now. Let's, let's set that aside and address the, the reporting issue, or vice versa. Reporting is pretty slick, but the underlying data is just not there, or the firm we're working with doesn't have the right data feeds. Um, there's ways to supplement that with other firms and start connecting some of those dots. I think the other piece of it comes down to uh, 
the expectation on what my involvement's going to be with outsourcing. If it means that I'm hiring you as a firm to manage all my data and I'm gonna go play golf or go fly fishing and I don't need to worry about it, I think that's somewhat naive. We need to spend a lot of time over, with oversight around that. We need, to own, we need to own our data. Doesn't mean we have to do anything with it. We don't have to aggregate it, we don't have to type it in, but ultimately we need to be responsible for that. So whether it's as detailed as looking at tax lots and cost basis or more broad stroke, just understanding the nature of the investments, uh, we need to pay attention to that. Uh, where a lot of times firms fall down is when the client's just kind of given them complete discretion they may not understand all the nuances and all the intricacies of these, of these investments. They may not know how to organize it correctly or the way that you're used to seeing it. And a lot of times it just comes down to having that dialogue, having a partnership with that firm. If you talk to them regularly and explain to them, yeah, I know this is classified this way for these clients and it's classified this way for this client, and just understanding those, those different nuances, uh, it becomes pretty easy. Most of these tools work very well and they're designed very well. But it comes down to that oversight. Don't just hand it off and walk away, but hand it off and pay attention and, and interact and, and really build a partnership with the outsource firms. Pavan, how are uh, family offices looking at risk management and consolidated reporting? Uh, you know, think issues like privacy and cybersecurity. How do they, how have these come up with your, you know, discussions with the families that you're working with? You know, whether it's you know, servers or in North America or decision-making around maybe some more privacy-centric locations abroad or U.S. clients versus clients that are not U.S. clients. How, how have those discussions come up and where, what trends do you see in that area? Cybersecurity and data privacy is a very, very important topic, not just for small businesses and family enterprises, but even for large multinational organizations. As we all know, Ed, the continual rise in the widespread use of technology has a flip side to that coin, which is the global rise of the cybercrime. Without proper cybersecurity protection of our sensitive information, whether it is on our spreadsheet in a computer or whether it is uh, online, uh, portals, etc. You know, inadequate security can lead to problematic consequences for the wealth owner and the family enterprises. Our clients are starting to recognize this and view cybersecurity and data privacy uh, as a paramount upgrade in working with us. Our family office clients really value the privacy and confidentiality that our platform has to offer. As you know, our founders built Mastro in 2010 to not just solve the needs of their own global multi-generational family office, but with a strong focus on military-grade cybersecurity at the forefront. Data privacy is very critical to Mastro, which is why, you know, we don't even see our client's data, and that is by design. We don't own the encryption key for the data. We let our clients own it. Mastro offers clients the highest military-grade uh, encryption standards available and on a dedicated tier four uh, data centers that are based in Switzerland. 
We're very proud to deliver our clients award-winning cybersecurity that receives industry recognition. And more importantly, we're extremely happy to recognize that our small business and family enterprises are thinking about cybersecurity and data privacy, uh, learning about it and learning the importance of it as they embark their journey uh, around digitization of their family enterprises. Thanks, Padman. Eric, what about multifamily offices? Uh, how do you see them tackling these consolidated reporting issues, and what trends do you see in that space? Yeah, so they're uh, in certain ways similar to what we see in single-family offices. Um, but, you know, for multifamily offices, clearly, you know, they, they uh, have uh, oftentimes uh, principals uh, who have even a, a broader range of requirements, needs, and preferences, and so forth. Um, so they have to industrialize their internal operations, and, and oftentimes that really requires um, using technology strategically. Um, and being disciplined in how exactly um, you operationalize that so that the, you know, ultimately uh, the experience that the, the family members receiving day in and day out, week in, week out, month in, month out with respect to, um, you know, making sound decisions and really understanding where they are with respect to um, their overall life and the investment part of their life, um, you know, they're, the, the um, the challenge that's innate to that um, is, is is quite meaningful. Um, and so I guess back to one of the things that, that Rick was saying before, um, in terms of like the insourcing versus outsourcing uh, aspect for single family offices, I think one thing that most multifamily offices have really proven is that they're able to insource, uh, you know, a bunch of the technology as well as the services, um, but they can do so by, uh, I think, partnering effectively with, uh, you know, their service providers, whether it's technology or um, or other types of outfits. And so, you know, I guess at Adapar, one thing that, uh, you know, over the course of, call it the last five years, um, we've really emphasized is in addition to having a very strong technology and products as well as data muscle, um, complementing that um, with a services team, with account management, um, so that uh, we're able to, you know, come in with a pretty strong point of view and a pretty clear point of view. We don't want to be overly prescriptive, but we, but we recognize uh, that many of the clients we're serving, whether it's single-family offices, multifamily offices, or RIAs or banks, et cetera, um, they're, by definition, not super experienced with rolling out this type of technology because ideally they're not doing it every year, two years, three years, five years. They've done it once um, or maybe a couple times, uh, and they're having the conversation because they need to do it in a way that's going to be more lasting this coming time. And so, you know, I just think that that degree of um, – partnership, they understand, you know, the client understands what they're trying to solve for. Um, we're able to complement that with a strong point of view and some reference points of saying, okay, your needs relate to the needs that we've seen from these dozen clients over here. Um, let us coach you and set some milestones um, that we can achieve together. And here's what you need from us. And here's what we need from you. And let's step through that uh, in a very proactive, very productive way. Like that's how we're able to uh, achieve success um, and take a lot of the execution risk out of it. Um, so it's not just dropping off technology and hoping that it works. It's really uh, having technology that's been purpose-built that can fit hand in glove um, to, to the needs of families, um, both in the context of a single-family office and a multi-family office um, that, as we talked about before, can be wildly different. 
Thanks, Sharon. Pondwin, you know, from your perspective, having worked at, you know, large global uh, financial institutions, how are, how are these organizations looking at consolidated reporting? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think consolidated reporting is, I don't think is a, no longer a nice to have offering for financial institutions, uh, especially to this client segment of high net worth and ultra high net worth clients and family office enterprises because clients' expectations are changing and they often get um, you know, frustrated with what they get from these institutions and they're expecting a more uh, digitally enabled experience, transparent to total net worth um, reporting as more of a table stake offering. Um, and we see more investments as well as receptiveness uh, from large financial institutions to partner with firms like ourselves uh, to bring that uh, offering to you know to their end clients, who ultimately could be a family office uh, or a multifamily office um, or a wealth owner uh, for that for that matter. So I think that uh, consolidated reporting is definitely a topic of interest, and it's a topic of discussion uh, that is consuming a lot of airtime, even in large financial uh, institutions. Thanks. Rick, you know, let's talk dollars and cents. You know, how should a family office budget for their consolidated reporting system? I think there's a couple of factors that go into that. And I think Eric pointed out, you know, really looking at the ROI on that. What is, if I spend X dollars on this new tool, uh, am I going to save somewhere else or am I going to be able to deploy that uh, time and energy to making money some, you know, in another place? I think the other piece of it that's really important is evaluating what the what the, the the cost of continuity or lack of continuity, and you know, family offices are notorious for having succession plans. Um, typically, they're they're started by one person who you know kind of serves out their career, and then they try to find somebody else to fill those shoes. Um, when it comes to technology and data and process and management, uh, really looking to spend a little bit more so that you have that continuity. That if something happens. To somebody, or we go into a lockdown period like this, can I still get access to the same information? Uh, so I think there should be a, a certain premium on that. Uh, but as far as actually making the decision, I think that's a very personal thing. And I think there's a, there's a lot of tools that we can use to help evaluate that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it, what's the, what are the priorities of that family office? What are the priorities of the, of the principals that are currently running the family office? So, uh, Rick, it's sort of a roundup question uh, to, to to finish our discussion today. It's really about the next gen. You know, how have you seen family offices work with multiple generations uh, that they they cover as part of their family office with uh, with consolidated reporting and and you know, for example, having their desires of how they see reporting data delivered in the way in the fashion that they want to, or just to further the communication aspects that that uh, have been discussed earlier. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of innovation is taking place and, and will continue to take place. You know, the days of this is the way my dad saw it, uh, and this is the way that, you know, I should probably see it is are gone. I think there there's a couple of really three different buckets of, of consolidated reporting, at least as, as I see that. There are probably other ones. Um, we've got the, the compliance reporting, meaning we need to generate these reports for some sort of compliance purpose, whether it's to report it to a regulatory agency or because we have a reporting requirement to our client. 
And so we're going to put together exactly the bare minimum of what we need to do that type of, of reporting. Um, I think the other two pieces of it would include um, point in time decision making. So at any point in time, do I have the ability to pull information uh, from all of my different sources so that I can make a decision on the spot, whatever that might be. Uh, and then the other one comes down to more along the storytelling lines. Uh, and I always love to talk about creating reports that tell stories. And let's really focus on how do we tell a, a proper story with the beginning, a middle, and an end. Here's where you were, here's what we've done, here's why we did it, and here's where we're going. Um, so really being able to evaluate it from that perspective. And I think if you have a little bit of the storytelling component and the ability to query in real time and pull, maybe not even real time, query in near time, uh, information to make decisions that come up uh, on the spot, uh, I think you can, you can accommodate all of the gen different generations. You can accommodate all of the different personality types or all of the different backgrounds. Eric, your thoughts on engaging, you know, the next generation or multiple generations using consolidated reporting? Yeah, so, you know, I think, I guess Rick's three buckets of consolidated reporting, like but by and large, I agree that those are the, those are primary use cases that we see come up. Um, but we've really taken the time to approach uh, the problem broadly, um, where we see those as basically three flip sides of the same coin. And how do we have a common platform and a common product that allows for any type of reporting, um, using any type of data about your portfolio um, that, that we're ingesting securely from hundreds of different places, um, that we're ensuring a high degree of quality as well as um, separating duties and access from a security and privacy standpoint. Um, but really, really importantly, like for each and every family member, they might look at the world very, very differently. So how do you use consolidated reporting to codify uh, your best practices, to codify the way you look at the world, to codify the way you think about your investments, um, so that, you know, as uh, times change and we have to go to remote work environment, you need to access uh, everything from, from somewhere else. Um, you know, having a cloud-native solution like Adipar um, that is not compromising anything from a security and privacy standpoint, um, that's really compelling. And from multi-generational planning and uh, to accommodate needs, you know, for one family member maybe who's, uh, who wants to look at every last detail about every position in the portfolio and happens to be very numerate and quantitative and um, they don't want to sacrifice that, um, to another family member who wants to look at the, the family's estate top-down, you know, with a series of pie charts by geography and strategy, and that's about it. I want to look at every three months. Um, we want to accommodate, you know, that full spectrum and, it, and honestly, it doesn't, I guess what we found is it doesn't really correlate necessarily with this generation versus that generation. Um, you know, you can have people who have been, you know, investing for decades and decades who are just as savvy with the latest and greatest, you know, data visualizations or, or ways to think about investments or new uh, kind of newness as, you know, the 25-year-old person who's, you know, kind of grown up with tech. Um, and so that, that's really not the um, kind of the driver from our perspective, but what we do see is just this uh, diversity of preferences across the client base that don't want to be compromised. Um, and that's, that's what makes this problem, I think, super interesting um, and, you know, provides an opportunity for us uh, um, and, and many other players in the space to work together to really level up the client experience as possible. Thanks, Eric. And Pandan, uh, to you, 
how have you seen consolidated reporting work with multiple generations and, and some the effective use cases uh, for that? I think um, Eric and Rick talked about a lot of the lot of the use cases, and and we take uh, a bit more of a broader perspective about it as well. Um, I think if you look at uh, uh, the evolution of the technology in our daily lives, whether it is uh, how we use phone to consume uh, information or other digital interactions that we have, I think creating a simplified. Uh, yet a compelling user experience that is intuitive and enjoyable to the users, whether the user is a digital native or a digital immigrant. I think that that is what you're going to see in the spectrum of users across these generations of, of families. Uh, and as you move more towards the digital natives, uh, I think they are looking for uh, much more easy to consume anytime, anywhere, not just reporting, not just net worth, but also trying to understand the complexity of the wealth blueprint that they are inheriting, uh, trying to have uh, simpler visualizations that can compare the range of uh, assets from marketable to illiquid to investment in companies to passion assets, et cetera. Uh, so I think truly, um, you know, simplifying the complexity of that uh, of that wealth spectrum is is going to be uh, is what we're seeing is the uh, client expectation, uh, and as the not and not only the digital natives are looking for that type of an experience, uh, it is also much appreciated equally by the digital immigrants as well who historically have seen a, a quarterly review report that's usually a 50-page long. But if that can be summarized in a visualization and then can offer uh, additional insights by uh, drilling into the details, uh, whether it is, uh, you know, um, uh, pinching on their on their iPad or, or, or their iPhone. So I think providing this, uh, Technology, uh, you know, that can cater to uh, to that multi generational um, uh, digital natives to digital immigrants, I think, is is clearly where uh, we see the uh, opportunity is, and where uh, what our clients are expecting uh, us to do in this space as well. Well, thank you, Pavan, and thank you, Eric and Rick, as well. We really appreciate your thoughtful insights today. We certainly covered a lot of interesting ground in a very complex area uh, in the family office world. If you'd like to get in touch with our guests or have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at bostonprivate.com. I'd also recommend you check out our website where you can find numerous resources, sign up for a newsletter, get this podcast, and much, much more in your inbox and learn about how we help and work with family offices. That website is bostonprivate.com forward slash family office. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. Thank you again for to our panel today, and thank you all for joining us. Well, that's it. Check back in the, for a new podcast next week. Bye, everyone.
This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.